Hello, and thanks for downloading the first Hands-On podcast, a podcast that accompanies and discusses all the detail, nostalgia, and entirely possible events featuring in the new mini-series created by Peter Stray, Old Habits, The Rise of Hands. Prequels and backstories have become pretty popular in recent years. We've seen all sorts of backstories ranging from Han Solo to Better Call Saul to more recently House of the Dragon. But who would have ever thought of exploring the backstory of the die-hard baddie Hans Gruber? Well, Peter Stray did, and he's here to kick off his first accompanying podcast to the miniseries that he's written and created. So here I am with uh, Mr. Steve Dennis. Hello. We've known each other for, for how long from uh, growing up in a Welsh seaside town called Swansea? 35, 36 years. It's got to be something like that, I think. Which is nuts, really. It is, it is. And to think in those 30-odd years, I, I've only ever seen Die Hard once. <laughs> is that true? <laughs> I, I'm afraid, you know, I, it, it, it honestly is. It honestly, it honestly is. That's <laughs> extraordinary to me. It's extraordinary to me. But but this is what's good is that um, for, for listeners, my goal is to sort of invite listeners in who, who are not like completely nutty fans of the film. And then even if you're a casual viewer, like, you know, there was this guy called Hans. He had a bunch of, yeah. there's five or six Germans in there. There's two Quebecois French. There's one Italian. Um, there's one um, Asian guy who, and, and uh, played by the great stuntman Al Leong, who who has a death reel on YouTube where he's dying in about you know 500 films. Uh, you've shown me that. But it's it's he never speaks in the film. He just um, kills people and and eats some chocolate. Does does he feature in the? In, in any of the episodes then? Obviously, it's, He it's, does. In in a later episode, yeah, there's an episode where, um, just to tease it, where Hans is putting the team together. And of course, Uli, the character, yeah. does feature and gets a lot more lines than in, in the film. Um, and his chocoholism is discussed. Ah, I was going to say, do we get do we get to hear a bit of the background as to as to what his character is, how he's ended up there and been part of this whole, whole thing that... Um, that Hans Gruber has set up. Well, that's uh, that's true of uh, pretty much all the characters. I mean, not every single one of them gets a, a, a backstory about their sad childhood, but, you know, you definitely get a sense of uh, how the team got together. And in many cases, for example, Tony, who, if, if uh, anyone who's seen the film remembers, is the first one to die. John McClane tumbles with down the stairwell. He's basically sort of the, the one of the main characters in... in in this series played by the great Dan Hawksford who we're going to be interviewing uh, equally there are characters where I would have loved to have brought them in but I couldn't figure quite how to do it so you know, this is very much hand-centric John McClane doesn't appear in this series at all just to warn people there's no way to bring him in you know without disabling the events of the actual film itself um, same thing with Holly McClane like Hans Gruber um, if he met her and found out too much about her then anything in the film wouldn't work really whereas there are some some there's a couple of other characters where you might be surprised that Hans meet, meets them before the events of the film I'll just I'll say that I'll tease that is this a completely sort of different story or is this a kind of a sort of a lead up to to him actually going with the plan this is very much a lead up to the events of Die Hard but we don't we don't start there immediately I've taken lots of clues from the film itself. So, for example, um, a newscaster says he was a member of the radical Volksfrei movement in Germany. So we start 
the series in Germany in a bar, you know, with him being a member of the Volksfrei. But we already see there's tension there. The leadership are concerned. About? Well, Hans, you. Me? Why would they be concerned about me? We establish that he is a rich kid, basically, that he's a child from a... Uh, uh, a a dynasty where his father was an arms baron and has just died. For, for, those, for those who don't know, what is the Volksfrei movement? It's, a, I mean, it's it's not real. It's a, it, but it's a, it's a sort of com- communist extremist um, radical group. You know, and bear in mind, at the time when Die Hard was released, you know, the Berlin Wall hadn't come down. Ah, oh, yeah, of course. So, how 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 much fun has it been to um, pretty much invent? The backstory. Oh, my Lord, that's been so much fun. It's been stupidly (laughs) ridiculous. And to anyone listening, maybe who's listening from 20th Century Fox, you know, who who might be one of our 10 listeners... The idea is that this is this is satire. This is the possibility. This is a fun kind of extended skit about how Hans may have got there. You see these terrorists within the the film being very po faced and serious. And, and I was imagining them meeting up and then you know arguing over what flavor of ice cream they were going to buy. In in the podcast, obviously, uh, it's it's yourself who has the the role of Hans Gruber and is it an impression a caricature or how, how, what would you what would you say I mean it's you know it's kind of half an impersonation and half an interpretation maybe and and the funny thing is is it's not like oh I'm doing this podcast I better I better swat up on what Rickman sounds like in that I'd just been listening to him for so long and you know because I liked um I liked his voice and I also liked um you know, a lot of the great scores, you know, Die Hard, the, the original Die Hard score wasn't released until years after the film. And so I made a tape through my parents' stereo of um, systems plugged into the VHS uh, for better sound. But it also meant you could record sound from there. So I would like be listening to tapes of just the sound section of Die Hard to listen to the score. So, you know, I got this great free lesson in sound mixing. Obviously, I was listening to Rickman's voice. So just over years, it's just kind of like stayed there in the consciousness. Earlier this week, Pete caught up with Dan Hawksford, an RSC actor who plays Tony, the glasses-wearing terrorist who's the first to die in Die Hard. All right, so here's my first guest, Daniel Hawksford, who plays Tony. Tell me uh, if you can remember what about like the first time you saw Die Hard and uh, what, what what you thought of it. If I'm honest, I can't remember because I've seen it so many times. I don't know, but you know, it's a it's a real cliche, but it is the go to Christmas film for me every year. Right, so 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 you're definitely on the side that it's a it's a Christmas film. Definitely, definitely. You know, it's got a positive message in it. It's got a positive... Well, lots of films have a positive message, but what do you think, for you, says, okay, Die Hard is definitely a Christmas film? Um, probably the music at the end of the film. <laughs> okay, yeah, let it snow, let it snow. Um, anything else? There's a Christmas party. John McClane's come over for Christmas to see his wife. And and here's another thing that, for me, clinches it as being a Christmas film. What's what's his wife called? I know the actress's name, but um, what's her name? I can't remember her name now. Um, Gennaro. G- G- Gennaro? No, but what's her first name? Well, the actress's name is Bonnie Bedelia, isn't it? No, but what's the first name of the character? I can't remember. Janet? <laughs> it's not Janet. No, it's Holly. Oh, Holly. Yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. 
So that to me is means it's definitely a Christmas movie. Yeah, I see what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she should have a sister called Ivy. What about Die Hard makes you want to just put it on? It's one of those films where, and there's a few of them, that if you're flicking through the channels, it doesn't matter where it is in the film. If it's on, I know that I'll watch it, the rest of it. What did you bring to the character that, you know, you saw from the, the character in the film? A delicacy in the performance. He's a very delicate character, but also a ruthless killer. He is, yes. He likes wines. He likes fine wines. Do you think, like, watching the film, w- would you be surprised if he and Hans had a had a little thing? No, I wouldn't be surprised, no. He's a really good-looking lad, um, like me. <laughs> yes, that's it. No. The funny thing is, is that I, I, I thought of you for this part because you, you posted... <laughs> This is weird, but I, you posted a photo of you online with glasses where you look quite a lot like Tony. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But that was that. I I, I was um, inspired by that picture because I'd been watching Mindhunter. And it was Halloween as well. So, so you I were actually I'd... dressing as Jeffrey Dahmer? Yeah. Based on the film, like, if you look at Tony, you look at Carl, what's your take on what their, their family dynamic is in the backstory? Like, did did, did did you sort of base anything on the way that you played Tony on how the actor Andreas Wisniewski played Tony or, you know, in the dynamic between him and Carl? I do, because th- I'm one of three brothers, so um, I would associate more with Carl than with Tony. I can see that Carl probably, not bullies, but, you know, kind of, he's probably the more stronger and more powerful of the brothers and probably pushes him around a bit. And I think that's part of the dynamic of Tony and Carl in a way. You speak of your brother as if he's a bag of C4. I think that's a good description of him. Could explode if badly handled. I thought it was interesting, you know, when when Jeremy Irons shows up in Die Hard with a Vengeance and he's, you know, they've sort of uh, retconned this, this idea of Hans Gruber having a brother I thought there was a, a really good parallel to draw between Simon and Hans and Tony and Carl yeah. and it just sort of naturally grew out of that that I thought well maybe these two had a thing. Carl has always been the strongest as has Simon. Well you see that in the film don't you you know you see him sort of like he's chainsawing through the thing and all the rest of it. Hey brother. Oh man. Did you ever watch Die Hard and think, do you know what I want is I want to to see like what these characters were doing beforehand or like what they had for breakfast or if they, they all came over on the same aeroplane? Yeah, definitely. How they got there and why they're there. And I, I, was, I was watching Terminator 2 the other day with my son. John Connor, he's just escaped from the... Um... Oh, right. He's just escaped from the, um, the sort of the mall. The Galleria. He ends he ends up walking down that corridor. Uh-huh. There's like a maintenance guy. Uh-huh. And he's like, hey, you shouldn't be here. Oh, he gets caught in the way, right? He gets shot. I would I would love I was thinking watching it. I was thinking, I would love to do a day in the life of that guy. <laughs> How he ends up in that um corridor with uh, the T T one hundred and and the T one thousand and then he gets shot. Just what, how did he end up there? What are the circumstances that led him to be in that corridor? Wow. Well, put it this way. So so Tony dies first in Die Hard. I, I think he's unconscious. You think he's unconscious? <laughs> you know, he's been knocked unconscious down the stairwell. He looks, he looks pretty dead. Yeah, but I think as well, he probably does a lot of yoga. So he's quite flexible. 
all right, that's your theory that that everybody was wrong. Bruce Willis, like John McClane is wrong. Hans, all the terrorists are wrong. Tony's actually just sort of, t- Tony's just sleeping it off. Is well, I think saying. he's, that's why, you know, you don't see him at the end because I think he suddenly realises, fuck this. I don't want to be a part of this anymore. And he escapes somehow from the building. <laughs> right, okay. That's that's an incredible theory. I haven't heard that one before. So so Dan, so what? So you've you've been a, uh, primarily a, a stage actor in the last few years. Um, what what are some of the most memorable things that you've done? Because I know I saw you years ago do Taming of the Shrew um, with with uh, with Eve Miles, who then uh, is best known to audiences for being Agent Gwen Cooper in Torchwood. It was great. Yeah, I mean, it was the first. I'd always wanted to work at the RSC and. Um... When was it? Two thousand and three or four? Two thousand and four, and um, and then to find yourself on the main stage, the RST in Stratford upon Avon, was you know pretty amazing. And then I, who else was in it? Um, Rory Kinnear was in it as well. Yes, um, yeah. So Eve Miles from Torchwood was in it. Rory Kinnear, who some viewers will know from uh, the James Bond films as Judy Dench's assistant Tanner, and also more recently in Alex Garland's film Men. What were they like to work with? They're great. They're really good. I mean, you know, I'm trying to think. Yeah, it was. I mean, there's always a nice thing when you work with um, a fellow Welsh actor outside of Wales. There's definitely, you know, it's kind of a relatively small community, and everyone seems to know everyone else. All right, back to Die Hard though, quickly. Um, it, obviously, you know, you played Tony. Is there a favourite character you have in in Die Hard? You, you can't choose John McClane or Hans. You got to pick another character. Um, Carl, I love Carl. I do love Hans as well. And also, when I graduated from RADA... The Royal Academy of Dramatic Art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alan Rickman gave me my diploma. Oh, wow. I've got a photo of it on... I think my parents got a photo of him handing me my diploma when I graduated. You probably know this from the script, but but this is... For me, this is, the, is as much of a love letter to Rickman as to Die Hard, really. There's lots of references to different films that he's done. Uh, you know, there's obviously in the first episode, there's reference to Robin Hood and there's um, all kinds of stuff in there. So um, have you had any, did, while you were at RADA, did you have any interactions with, with Rickman other than that? No, I mean, uh, there's one which I'm quite, uh, I don't know whether, well, yeah, I can say it. It was like a, an evening where they had, I think it was a fundraiser and there were lots of sort of old alumni from, rather there and me and um a guy from my uh we were stood at the bar chatting to an actor called um john sessions very well known yeah and he used to do impersonations including one of rickman i think we were chatting to him and i think he'd just come back from filming gangs in new york um and he was talking to us about leonardo dicaprio and um he was a bit drunk me and my friend were a bit drunk and then um, Alan Rickman came up to us to say something to John. And it's really embarrassing. But then me and my friend were like, John, John, do Alan, do the imp- do your impression of Alan. Do it, do it, do it to Alan. Do it to Mr. Rickman. And, oh, my God. I wish I hadn't, I wish we hadn't said anything. Because he then refused. He refused to do it. And then they both went away then, so... For um yeah for for listeners uh John Sessions obviously used to do an impersonation of Alan Rickman on a show called Stella Street which was all about um 
incredibly famous people all living on a suburban street near each other and and Rickman as kind of very much as Gruber was was I think one of these characters and uh Keith Richards and Mick Jagger used to I think they ran a corner shop in this show what, what was can you remember Rickman's reaction I think it was sort of an embarrassed smile <laughs> I never even got to interact with... I, I was in the same room at RADA when I was visiting you and, and other friends at RADA. And um, I just saw him from a distance and I thought, I can't, I don't think I can approach him because I think I'd turn into a puddle of jelly. Oh man, you know, I should have. You should have. You should have done it. It's one of those stupid actor sort of, uh, sort of arrogant, partly arrogant things where you think, you know, I was like, oh no, I'll, I'll, I'll talk to him when I work with him one day. Yeah. And now it's too late, you know, but it, uh, but I, I, and also I think he, his, his um, godson was a, yeah, he was lovely. Tom Burke. And, and, and so, and he was talking to him. So he was there as part of family and he was sort of talking to Tom. Imparting and, some words of wisdom. And to like interrupt a younger actor than me who's related to, you know, who is Rickman's godson and say, I'm a big fan. You know, like I, that was the thing. I was like, oh, I can't bear the thought of how embarrassing I must be. But I do have uh, Rickman's autograph here, like on the wall with, um, you know, so it's a signed photo, but he also, I'd written to him, you know, just as he was beginning to to get big and, um, uh, you know, in Tango at the End of Winter, that that play, the Yuki Ninagawa uh, sort of production. And I wrote to his dressing room. And so he's written my name and address on the envelope. So I've got Swansea written in <laughs> Rickman's handwriting. All right. Well, Dan Hawksford, it's been an absolute pleasure and I hope I see you in Swansea over Christmas. Yeah, all right. All right. Ta-ra, bud. <laughs> Steve, we grew up in the 80s, so, and here I am, the, the podcast does, you know, make several comments on the 80s, you know, um, including some things I had to Google, because there's like European political shenanigans that would have affected the characters that I didn't know about, so I actually got a bit ah. of an education, um, but okay. what was your memory growing up, like me, in a Welsh seaside town in Thatcher's Britain in the 80s, what was, what was your memory, what sticks out for you? I remember ghetto blasters and breakdancing, and one of the one of the reasons I, I remember that there was a guy uh, where where I was living um, in West Cross in Swansea, my next door neighbour, and I have distinct memories. I remember uh, when breakdancing was a big thing, and I remember being in my house and hearing uh, music, and one it was the music from um, uh, Beverly Hills Cop, you know the Harold. Uh, what's the one? Fultimeyer. That's it. I remember hearing, and I could hear it. I was like, oh, that's weird. what the hell was that coming from? I looked outside, and on our driveway, um, my neighbour um, and a bunch of his mates were all doing uh, breakdancing on the uh, on on the driveway <laughs> with with the with the ghetto blaster with the uh, Beverly Hills Cop theme uh, playing. That, um, I mean, you can't so that, get more eighties than that, can you? Really? And and skateboarding is. Well. I I remember having memories of uh, of skateboarding again in my in my street in the eighties. I remember that was a big thing. Like again, I think it was my ne- my next door neighbor had a skateboard ramp, and he would he would always be out there, like you know, well, I say performing tricks. I mean, it was one of those things where sort of you know, we we were never Tony Hawks. You know, it was kind of like you know, it was all pretty crap. You know, as long as you didn't fall on fall on flatten your ass or anything, it was considered you know vaguely successful. But I remember one one guy who had a skateboard ramp further down the street. 
and I'd I'd always wanted a skateboard. I think my <laughs> my parent my parents eventually got me one after much nagging, but it was it wasn't really the one I wanted. It was kind of like a cheap. <laughs> it was kind of like a sort of a cheap. I don't know, Argos one. And they obviously tried to sort of make it more interesting by putting um, uh, a ra- <laughs> it had a radio that was attached underneath the tailboard of it, <laughs> um, which did nothing for, for, for the weight or pretty much anything, but it meant you could listen to the radio when you were skateboarding. Do you have any particular um, favourite movies or songs from the 80s that are just like, you know, you like if there's a movie oh. that comes on TV, a song that comes on the radio, does it bring back the 80s for you? small memories i mean i i I was that was where i first discovered shaken stevens so that was probably one of my it might have been one of my first tapes or we one of my first lps was was shaken stevens's lp hot dog for international listeners um who didn't grow up in the uk can you describe shaken stevens (laughs) (laughs) i reckon they will have heard of him he was great and and he was welsh which i never found out till till much longer oh well uh, he was welsh no but trust me shaken stevens well put it this way have you heard of a a rock hair band called twisted sister yeah yeah okay fair enough because i hadn't heard of it till that was apparently much bigger in america than than in the uk but i don't think anyone in america sadly steve has heard of shaken stevens i don't think Uh, i don't think he crossed the pond i i I don't. Know, I dispute that. I think. I think they will have because he was essentially. I think probably if you want, if he asked me to describe him, there's many a Yank actor on this podcast. So in a future episode, I'll say, <laughs> "Shaken Stevens, wasn't he great?" And they'll be like, "Who, Peter? What are you talking about? Shaken who?" No, I. I. Th- he he was branded as as kind of the Welsh Elvis, I think. Um, so. <laughs> well, Welvis. <laughs> so he was a denim clad um, <laughs> rocker. Um, how would you describe the music? It, it, it was just 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 oh, just good rock and roll. Anybody anybody who's not 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 heard of Shaking Steams, honestly check him out. Every time you have- the records i think for the mount the most number ones in the 80s i'm pretty sure yeah but not internationally i'm pretty sure it would have been in the uk uh well i i, I promise you i, I need to fact check that i need US to fact check that but, <laughs> i'm not i'm not I'm, I'm not gonna i'm not gonna let you diss shaking steve i so you asked i'm not dissing <laughs> him i'm just dis, i'm just i'm just perhaps I, I, this isn't a diss <laughs> this is more of a, a sort of a gentle questioning as to whether whether he was the international hit you think he might have been um well I, maybe put it this way it might have been that maybe he crossed you know into europe and then hans and his guys were like oh yeah the, the, you know tony and carl were like yeah she, carl was like shaking stevens i love shaking stevens i he, reckon, when i when i, I, I kill a man i like to listen to shaking stevens during and afterwards yeah, maybe you know? yeah Next week on Hands On, we talk to another talented member of the cast. There'll be more die-hard trivia, more 80s nostalgia, and I think we're going to have to prove Steve wrong, I'm afraid, about Shaken Stevens. Sorry, Steve. Please follow Old Habits The Rise of Hans at Rise of Hans on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>